Hey, this is Alex Hyde-White. Stay tuned, because I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. We're back for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 662 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Alex Hyde-White joins us here on On Screen and Beyond. He was in Pretty Woman. Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, The Toy, whole lots of stuff, and we're going to talk about a lot of those things right here with Alex Hyde-White joining us at On Screen and Beyond. Well, it is uh, starting to cool down. I don't know where you are, but, uh, you know, where I am, it's starting to get a little bit cooler. You know, put a few logs in the wood stove there to get things going. And uh, it's uh, almost Thanksgiving, so want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving if you're in the United States. Everywhere else, uh, glad to have you with us, and I hope you're going to enjoy this episode of On Screen and Beyond. And uh, if you have a suggestion, want to talk to me, whatever, send me an email at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I love hearing from you. Love hearing your suggestions, and uh, just uh, you go ahead and connect with me there. Or, of course, we're on you know the socials, and you can DM me there. I'm not as good as on, on those. I don't answer those as much. You know, sometimes I can't get to them, or I, you know, just busy and <laughs> trying to get the shows out and get guests here on on screen and beyond. So I, I get to those later. Uh, but uh, the feedback is probably the best place to get uh, get in touch with me. So uh, if you want to do that, that's fine. And also on onscreenandbeyond.com, you can get merchandise from On Screen and Beyond. You can get t-shirts and sweatshirts and hats and all that stuff. It's all there. Be sure to check it out. Go to our button on the top. And uh, I got to add another one here somewhere, you know, a little explanation of it. But also, anyways, up at the top, it says On Screen and Beyond Merchandise. It brings you to the website where you can get all that stuff. And uh, they're pretty quick getting that stuff out. So uh, you can still have time to, uh, you know, find out what you want or you're giving to somebody or somebody want you want somebody to give to you, whatever. Makes a great gift for the holidays coming up, uh, you know. know, So you can check that out at onscreenandbeyond.com. And we've uh, got a lot of things coming. I'm looking here at the list of different stuff. This episode of On Screen and Beyond is going to be telling you about November and December releases. I didn't do a fall release uh, episode like we usually do, but uh, we're going to tell you what's coming your way in November and December as far as releases. So uh, why don't we get right into that? All right. It's time for remakes, sequels, and prequels coming your way in November and December right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake, sequels, and prequels. Well, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of the Songbird and Snakes flies into theaters on November 17th. Also on November 17th, Trolls Band Together will be coming our way. December 15th, Wonka continues the telling of Willy Wonka's story. Aquaman and the Last Kingdom swims our way on December 20th. 
And December 25th, Christmas Day, The Color Purple gets remade. And that's it for remakes, sequels, and prequels coming your way in November and December as far as releases coming your way. Uh, Now let's find out what's coming your way as upcoming new movies in November and December. Right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies, Napoleon tells the story of the Emperor Napoleon on November 22nd. Also on November 22nd, Disney's Wish will be arriving. Migration. The animated film flaps its wings into theaters on December 22nd, and on December 25th, Ferrari races into theaters. That's it for upcoming new movies coming your way in November and December. Next on On Screen and Beyond, well, why don't we find out uh, what's coming your way as far as movies and TV on DVD and streaming. Movies and TV on DVD and streaming, Sound of Freedom, goes DVD and Blu-ray on November 14th. Expendables, Expendforbles, I should say, explodes on 4K, Blu-ray and DVD on November 21st. And A Haunting in Venice lands on DVD and Blu-ray on November 28th. Also on November 28th, Ancient Aliens Season 18 arrives on DVD, and WandaVision Season 1 goes 4K and Blu-ray on November 28th. That's it for movies and TV on DVD and streaming. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time and Letter Kenny will end with season 14 on Hulu. All six episodes will drop on December 26th. And Prison Break may return with new shows on Hulu as it is in the early development stage with it being written and executive produced by the Mayans co-creator. So they're going to bring it back. And Euphoria will return for a third season in 2025. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're sitting down with Alex Hyde-White. And he was in Pretty Woman. He was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Battlestar Galactica, a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to talk about all that in his career. Alex Hyde-White next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Our guest today on On Screen and Beyond has acted in the blockbusters Pretty Woman and Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. We have seen him on Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, The Toy, Matlock, Murder, She Wrote, Babylon 5, NCIS, Bones, Shameless, This Is Us, and so much more. It's Alex Hyde-White. Alex, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Alex, looking at your career here, you, you've done a lot of stuff. And it was funny because the other day I was watching uh, The Pretty Woman and, and then I saw you. And that's it, when that that's what triggered me to, to turn around and, and send you a, a request to see if you'd do the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big hit. You know, I was uh, that was I was uh, in the business 10 years. And uh, Gene Hackman always said the secret to success was the second 10 years. Really? And that movie, yeah, <laughs> that was, you said that on the Merv Griffin show once. That's a great quote. And anyway, so I've been doing it, and then uh, that movie hit. And I said, okay, 
that's a good one. And to, and to this day, uh, it uh, just keeps, you know, keeps getting better and better. It's an example of wonderful casting. Yeah. And great direction. And uh, they got it right on that. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, take us back to when you're just a little kid. Uh, how did you... Well, you know, of course, your father was in the business, so you know, I'm sure that had something to do with it. But, but what led you to decide to do this for a career? You know, I was a precocious kid. Skipped a couple of they skipped me a couple of grades down in Palm Springs growing up. So I was 16 years old when I got out of high school, and uh, I got into Georgetown University and froze my butt off in minus three degrees weather coming from Palm Springs. And so I lasted about a year there such a good school i learned everything i needed to know in one year and left <laughs> and you know i i liked washington uh my dad had played washington a couple of years before then in the early 70s in a play and you know i liked the uh it was exciting but then i realized when i was back in southern cal you know it was very similar vibe showbiz the adrenaline the uh the you know, sort of campaigns and candidates. It's it's auditions and jobs, and so it was very similar skill set. And never went back to college. I took a few classes here and there, and uh, then I was lucky that uh, Battlestar Galactica was hiring uh, lads to fly jets in space, and so I was one of their last contract players in uh, what nineteen seventy eight to eighty. I was a contract player at Universal, mm-hmm. and that's when I got in a lot of those early shows and um that got me started and uh you know i grow i'd grown up backstage and so it's kind of like you know uh how did you get into gun running well you know my dad was an arms dealer or you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what what made you go into politics my dad was a governor you know mm-hmm. so you do that i mean uh, a lot of a lot of uh, you know a lot of a lot of kids don't want to do what the family business and i didn't for a while but i uh I enjoyed it, and I'd been around it enough backstage. I was comfortable with actors of all shapes and sizes, creeds, colors, orientations, all that nonsense that's supposed to supposed to make a difference. And the great thing about theater, it's kind of like the circus. You know, you're, everybody is a little is a little off. Everybody is a little eccentric, mm-hmm. and so I uh, uh, I found that I fit well. And then it's just a matter of opportunity. And Universal gave me the opportunity to get started, and. Like I say, ten years later, Pretty Woman hit, and that kind of said, "Okay, I can stay. I can stay now." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been trying to find something else to do ever since. But um, you know, when you're a young actor, it helps if you work in a restaurant, or if you're a cab driver, or if you're a val- or a car parking or something, because you need to get around and you need to eat. So yeah, yeah, uh, you need to be self sufficient. What was it like being the you know? Some of the, I mean, I, I think Universal, or not just Universal, but Hollywood itself, was just at the ending of the contract players. Is that correct? Yeah, they were all they were all over. Universal was the last because the um, the people who ran it, Eleanor Kilgallen in New York, and great oh, a former agent named uh, Monique James, they had started MCA with Jules Stein, who um, were booking bands back in the in the forties, probably, and they'd been around a long time. And so he had a loyalty to them. And, you know, they had a lot of people, even our time, we had Sharon Gless who was working. Lindsay Wagner was the um, Bionic woman. And then of course, mm-hmm. wonderful Jamie Lee Curtis was 20 years old. She was you know, pretty much my age. And, uh, she hit the, the Halloween movie that came while she was a contract. I said, okay, I just spoke to her a couple months ago and we were reminiscing because I wrote my book 
uh, is out now. It's my memoirs of 40 years. And of course, yeah. it starts pretty much with those uh, on the studio, on the lot days at Universal, which was fun. Yeah. 70, 78 to, to the early 80s. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. as far as your book, how, what, what does that span? Does it start at a certain age or does it, is it your whole life in general or? Well, you know, I, yeah, it's my life in film and TV. I call it in the volume, which is a very modern term used for digital filmmaking. Instead of being, you know, in the frame or on film, you're now in the volume. So you capture the digital space. And it's a wonderful analogy that, that, that sort of has one foot in, in, in old-fashioned analog filmmaking, mm-hmm. but is a modern term because basically, you know, they say if you're not in the shot, you know, get out of the volume because they need, they need the gigabyte space. <laughs> so um, it's, I, I just, that, that appealed to me, and so I feel like my whole life I've been living in the volume. And I was able to go through my credits. Fortunately, IMDb uh, has most of them listed. And so I was able to remind myself of sort of the where and when. And once I did that, I was able to amass and tap into pretty darn good recall because, you know, it's been exciting. I mean, I've worked with some wonderful, wonderful people, uh, peak experiences. I, I, and so those things are in, indelible, you know, um, uh, in my memory. And they last a lot longer than than the uh, the failures. The failures are expected. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you miss in anything. You miss far far more than you than you hit. And um, I was able to go back in a way and take inventory. It's like going through storage. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I started it a year before the COVID shutdown, of course, and then the the, the lockdown gave me more time. I find a lot of people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of actors. Are, mm-hmm releasing their memoirs now and mine's a little different because i'm not really known for one thing it's not like the guy from friends or yep. you know the, the brother of the king of the future king of england you know yeah. i'm i'm i might not be known really for anything but but it's almost like a forrest gump it's a it's a it's a time travel tour through most of the 80s and 90s up to modern day of my point of view of the world through the lens of film and tv acting and so i've been very fortunate to been to be in uh, some wonderful situations, you know, like uh, like being on the deck of the USS John F. Kennedy aircraft carrier night landings when we were filming Top Gun for TV back in 89. It was called Super Carrier. And uh, being in Morocco with Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman and Elaine May and a wonderful boondoggle called Ishtar. And Yes, I Spielberg that. and yeah. and, and, and young Henry Jones with River, the great River Phoenix. God bless him. Uh, you know, so I've, I've been, I've, I've drawn an inside straight so many times in my life that I basically had to put it down on paper because yeah. it's, it's hard to believe. I've, I've been, I've been incredibly uh, fortunate. I have not amassed a fortune. Um, I, I am, I'm, I'm rich, like, like, uh, uh, Romeo, uh, like Brabantio says about Juliet. No, Romeo says about Juliet. She's rich in beauty, only poor that when she dies with beauty dies her store. You know, um, uh, I, I've, I've, uh, I've, li- uh, I'm living fortunately a rich and uh, varied life, and I'm not afraid to embrace the ups and downs. And so it was, it was a great experience. And the people who've read it and the feedback is wonderful because it's not a celebrity tell-all. It's not just uh, a celebration of the jobs I've got. It's a, it's a through line of 
of a, of a guy or, or a person who became an actor and was able to live this extremely rare life. I wouldn't recommend it for, for anybody, <laughs> you know, but, but people are interested in that, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, where can people get the book? Oh, it's Amazon, you know, in the volume it's called. It's easy. I'm easy to find. I mean, there's nobody else with an A and an X and a hyphen in their name, <laughs> at least not that I know of. <laughs> yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, Michael Dorn. Warp, Star Trek The Next Generation, on screen and beyond. Uh, now, being the son of Wilfred Hyde White, was that tough as a kid? You know, sometimes it's tough, you know, if your brother or your father or your mother or whatever, is, is it, was it tough to grow no, up? No, no, no. You know, he was easy. He was easy to get along with. You just had to allow him to be eccentric. You know, he was, he was born in 1903 and I was born in 1959. So he was 55, 56 years old. My mother was almost 30 years younger, and she lasted about 15 years. He scared the hell out of her, and so she left. So, you know, it's a, sim- it's a, it's a fairly common story, except for the fact that my dad actually did have uh, touches of brilliance throughout his life, because in his work, um, uh, uh, and the one thing I learned very, very early on, probably around 11, 12 years old, he and a couple of his mercurial friends, none more, mercurial than the great Peter Sellers, they had this tremendous ability to be on, and then when they were off, they'd get very depressed. I don't know if it was manic depressive or I don't know, I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, you have to live through that. And, you know, it's, it sort of undercuts what should be a joy of living. And I think it was hard. Uh, it was hard on my mom, but it instilled in me this value of humanity, this sort of joy of experience, which I've been able to put down, um, not to just live at the mercy of the highs and lows. And that was the greatest uh, lesson that I learned growing up 
uh, as a successful actor's son. Now, mind you, he was a well-known actor at that time in England. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was fairly well-known in America and continues to be. But it's not like I'm uh, not like Jason Connery growing up in England as Sean Connery. Exactly. Son, you know, yeah. Who I who I knew uh, at a very young age, and you know, Jason's a nice fellow. He's become a good director. Yeah, he's he been a guest here. <laughs> oh, has he? Yes, like, yeah, quite a few years ago. But uh, Jason, oh, was how on lovely! The, yeah, how lovely! Yeah, yeah. He had a lot of pressure on him, you know, oh, and sure. that's why I left England. I, I, I started my career, uh, you know, after Universal ended in what eighty one, and I go to New York. I do a play eighty three. I'm in England, kind of broke, but I was a client of the William Morris Agency because on uh, on a play in New York, a William, an old William Morris agent signed me, which was too big an agency for a young actor. But over in England, they were a smaller agency, and I could play Americans, and so I. They really did well. I did well with them in the, uh, in 83, 84, 85. Wow. And got myself some nice credits and some great experience, almost like playing in the Pensacola Blue Wahoos before getting sent up to the <laughs> Miami Marlins or something, you know? Yeah. And and uh, it was great experience. And, but I, I, I knew I wasn't going to live there because there was an expectation and England is a very small, London's a very small society, very, very rare for the son of somebody, not just famous, but almost notorious, uh, to, to carve out his own uh, existence. And so, and then plus, I, I, by that time, I, hold on. Somebody, I think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger flying over. <laughs> Sounded close. <laughs> yeah, I know, huh? Yeah, I'm still on the deck of the aircraft carrier. No, um, you know, but by that time, I uh, I had some roots in Southern Cal, and I, I just knew I wanted to live there. And then my first son was born in uh, 1990. Before you know it, it's 2003 or 2004, and I say, "Whoa, I've been at this since." 1980, and uh, and that's when I started uh, producing. And I made a couple movies, and then in uh, 2011, I started audiobook narrating, and I've, I've created this company called Punch Audio. It's in 10 years, has grown, does, does a lot of um, audiobook production for independent authors the world over. And so I was able to sort of marry my love of producing and uh, hiring people and... Uh, and, and creating, creating, and uh, that's what the modern actor has to do. I mean, there isn't a successful actor that that we know, whether it's Bradley Cooper or um, uh, who isn't either either creating content or directing it. And so, I've been fortunate to do that as mm-hmm. an audiobook uh, producer as well. And that's something that my dad wouldn't, he didn't need to do, and he would never have done. I mean, he was an actor, like a lot most of these older generations of the, you know, up till the sixties, they were actors and they either worked or they didn't. Yeah. And the trouble is, what do you do when you're not working? And, uh, you know, that's, that's, it's always been dangerous, but these days, you know, you can drive lift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, um, you've mentioned throughout the conversation here, some very big name, Peter Sellers and, and different now growing up, uh, were you exposed to a lot of, you know, really famous people like, like the Peter Sellers and whoever else? Well, I mean, I'm, I think the extent of my name dropping doesn't get much higher than Peter. Um, not so much younger. Um, you know, my dad was, um, um, was, a, was a kind of actor who was at his best when he was a sort of an actor manager, when he would help 
cast a show and, and do these shows. So, so it would be the people that would work with him that I got to know. Wonderful character actors. But later in, uh, when I started my own career, um, I just found myself, perhaps I think because I was hireable, because I had an understanding of, of the humanity of actors, I was certainly not starstruck. I was. I find in a way that I kind of feel most comfortable when I'm on a big movie set. Sometimes it's the lousy movies or the other TV shows that I would get, you know, just you know, get insecure about. But it's weird. So it's an interesting question you pose. But I think the answer is that the, really the famous folks that that we would know and, and recognize today. You know, I kind of did that just as a, throughout the course of my career. No, it's. You know, no, I think there was no one more famous than Sellers yeah, when oh, I was younger. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> and then I mean, Dustin Hoffman is a, is an American when he was at his peak, mm -hmm. um, is, is an Amer American equivalent, I think, of Sellers, his chameleon-like um, ability. But, you know, Dustin's obviously a wonderful dramatic actor, whereas Sellers was equally adept at, you know, he, Dr. Strangelove and Chauncey Gardner and being there. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was just a sympathy with Sellers that... He had charisma. I think Richard Gere had charisma uh, in Pretty Woman and other things. Travolta in his early films had charisma. Right. And that's something that's very, very hard to come by. It's like when you walk in a room. Not that everybody looks at you. The room changes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is an indescribable. Hmm. Yeah. You, have to, you have to see it to believe it. And yeah. that's, that's, that's the, that, that been there. River Phoenix, I think had it in him. He had a wonderful inter interior, internal life, a way of... You wanted to sympathize mm, yeah. with him. Now, what was your experience of working with Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade? You know, you're working with uh -huh. these... Uh, on this on a s series of movies that is just humongous. Uh, how, what, what, how was it working it on that? Well, Steven was wonderful. Um, it was the first time I'd met him was up in Alamosa, Colorado when we were, you know, they were setting that shot up and it was a wonderful scene right in the beginning of the movie, which sort of centers on the um, mailbox that says Jones. Mm -hmm. And then you move inside and there's a fellow sitting at a desk and he says, oh, draw, draw, you know, and uh, it was a very difficult part for him to cast. Uh, but it was real easy when, when it came time to film it. He's, um, I've worked with him now three times. What I say about Stephen is kind of what I say about Jordan Peele now a little bit, having been on with him on Nope for a few days a couple of years ago when that movie was being made. He's one of the very rare directors who you feel that he completely trusts you because he's cast you and um, you can do no wrong. And that's a great feeling it's the reality is that they're going to edit the film anyway <laughs> and they're going to film what they need and they're going to get this scene. So if you happen to do something original or something that requires a bit of confidence, then they're so pleased. A lot of actors, when they get around people who they admire or people who are supposed to be famous or the best at their job, they they get in they get reticent not so much insecure but they get cautious because they don't want to make a mistake and Stephen and Jordan and to a sense Gary Marshall um, 
empower their actors. And as a result, there are occasional brilliant moments that happen. I mean, look at Christopher Walken again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and um, so the second time I was, I played the divorce lawyer in Catch Me If You Can, a character named Dick Kesner. And, and I, I get to yell at, uh, what's his name, Leo. And Leonardo DiCaprio was playing the same age and almost looked like River Phoenix did uh, 10 years, 11, 12 years prior True. as young Indiana Jones, right? It was really, it was, it was surreal mm. and St- Stephen was the was the um the common ele- the, the the element in common for both i mean and so when i say to uh, leonardo hey calm down calm down i'm dick kesner now come on here come on into the other room your parents want to see you and then i scare him into signing the document of just where do you where do you want to live your mother or your father and it scares the crap out of him of course what does he do he runs away so when they cast me for that, they'd added this scene for Catch Me If You Can. I'd originally been up for the Martin Sheen role, which was, I think, earlier in the film, his girlfriend's father. And I guess Martin Sheen needed a job for a change. And so they gave it to him. It's great. I, I can't, I'm not going to lose work to Martin Sheen. My gosh. Right. <laughs> so the word came down, hey, I'm Richard, my agent. And it's a lovely story. And in the volume, just called up to say, hey, they've added a part and they want to see you. So I went over and I did this lovely audition. A lot of words, you know. I uh, in in movies like this and, and or even like shows like Babylon Five, I get hired for a day, but I have a page and a half of dialogue. It's like being on a soap opera, right? So, yeah. so all these words, and so they hire me. And my agent calls me and he says, uh, "Well, Punch, uh, Stephen wants you for the next film." I said, "Wait a minute, uh, are you t- is my agent calling me to offer me a part in Steven Spielberg's next film?" <laughs> he says, and he says, "Yes." So anyway, I, sh- I turn up on the set, and uh, Chris Walken's first day, Natalie by Leonardo in this little room, at Lacey Street Studios, because it's a uh, it's a small apartment, and he introduces everybody, and, I, and he says, "All right, let's just do a lineup." And I says, "Stephen, one moment, can I just say something before he goes?" "Yeah, yeah, sure, Alice, what do you?" I go, "Junior, count to twenty in Greek," and he goes, "No." I go, yeah. He goes, in Alamosa? I go, yeah. He says, oh, my God, Alex was uh, Dr. Henry Jones, and he introduces me, you know, like an old friend. And, you know, that's that's what I'm talking about when the joy of this business or any business that you that you're in because you want to succeed, when you get a moment like that, it's not about the work. Who you are, who he is. It's a it's a, it's a random moment of commonality. It's a celebration. Uh, that is just, it just completely, talk about change in the room, it just, it's a wonderful feeling mm-hmm. to go through. And so uh, we finished the lineup of the scene, and he says, gosh, Alex, I'm sorry, I, I didn't make the connection, I just liked your audition. <laughs> I go, that's okay, sir, I've seen, you know, I've liked, I like all your films too. And he was great. And yeah. so much so, uh, another, what, six, seven, eight years go by, and they're casting Tintin, which is this motion capture. Yeah. Uh, uh, a comedy of a famous you know, Belgian comic, I think, that Peter Jackson was producing, and there were twenty-five parts in it because it was it was all motion captures only, and I, they cast me. Basically, I, I'd gone in, whatever, whatever, and it was like there was one part left as a stall holder at Covent Garden. I don't even think it made the final cut, but I get a call. You had an offer for Tintin, and like I'd gone in to see it with the wonderful casting director Victoria Burrows. It would just it kept me alive. And so it was my 50th birthday. And again, I'm, this, is, this is an advertisement for my book and the joy 
a joy telling these stories and thank you for indulging me, but I'm on my 50th birthday and they call me down for the final fitting to get in the uh, frogman suit, which you have to wear for motion capture. Mm-hmm. I'm working like in two days. And they called him and said, can you go down to uh, Playa Vista um, around six o'clock? And I go, well, yeah. And it was my 50th birthday. It was January the 30th, uh, 19, uh, 2000, 2009. Is that 50? Yeah, I think so. And so um, I go, yeah, it's my 50th birthday. So I'm taking the family for dinner. I go, well, bring them. So all of a sudden... We're in this basketball court-sized set where they've started filming. They're breaking for the day. And it's like no entrance, no visitors. <laughs> and here's come Alex and his wife and son. And my, my son's nine years old, ten years old at the time. And I do my wardrobe fitting. Peter Jackson walks by. Hello, Alex. Thank you for doing it. It's lovely. Stephen goes by. By this time, we're ready to go. I go, Stephen. He goes, Alex. And immediately, he says, Al- Alex, Indy 3, catch me if you can. Welcome to Tintin. And then I say hi. <laughs> okay, immediately. And it's like meeting the the, the four-star general at the Pentagon. Right. You know, I yeah. mean, everybody else, everybody else is ready to say, give me your credentials. And all of a sudden, hey, you know, they're all they're all they're all friendly. So I had my son. And naturally I said, Stephen, um, um, can you meet my son? He goes, Yeah, Stephen, you know, he's he's made films, most of his films, especially early in his career, are kind of like these boys' adventures, and you see the Fablemans, you see, you know why. I mean, he just created these wonderful memory kind of films. Yes. Which um they captured quite well in that um in that uh, was it Super Eight? Uh, yep, Super Eight. JJ uh Abrams, Abrams yep. film. Yeah. They capture that sort of the love of it quite well. Anyway, um, she says, yeah, hi, Jack, this is Stephen, hi. And then immediately he says, would you like to come see your dad work on Friday? And he looks up at his assistants and, you know, okay, they're making a note. (laughs) And he looks at me and he uh, he says, is that okay? And I go, well, he, he... I'm sure he'd love to come. I'm, I'm sure he'd love to come and see you work. And he says, "Yeah, okay." So on the day of Tintin in this basketball court, being in the volume, doing the little stall herder gag with um, Sean, uh, uh, the Sean uh, with um, you know the Thompson twins who were Nick Frost and uh, Simon Pegg. Jack and Shelley, my lovely wife, are sitting in Video Village right next to Stephen watching the whole day's work as wow. if he's, you know, he was a guest of Stephen's. And it was just absolutely lovely. And those are the things that give me joy, telling, telling it even now. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, and so, um, you know, a lot of small parts in big movies, Pretty Woman, I suppose, being an exception. Mm-hmm. But they've been filled with big memories, with... You know, there's no such thing as small parts, only small actors. So mm-hmm. those have been, I've been, I've um, dipped my toe in, you know, the real kind of um, quicksilver of, of, of big films enough to, to, to know I want to do it again. And I got lucky with Jordan Peele when he was casting his film. Very similar experience. They don't make films much like that anymore. The DP was... The Chris Nolan's DP, Hoyt van Hoytema, his name. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on a set, go on a set with him, and I says, uh, "Did you make uh, Tenet? You shot Tenet, didn't you?" He goes, "Yes." I go, "Whoa, <laughs> whoa!" Like F word. He goes, "What?" I go, "Well, just like whoa." He says, "Yeah," and we go, 
Yeah, my friends are actually telling me that it plays the same way backwards as it as it would forward. He goes, "Yeah, I could see that." <laughs> you know, things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Jeez. You know, come on. Yeah. Hi, this is Annie Potts, and I'm on on screen and beyond. And now, Alex, with all the movies you've met and TV shows, I don't want to cut those yeah, out, yeah. Uh, but with all the yeah. ones you've done, is there any one particular that you're proudest of? You know, um, funnily enough, there's a Hallmark movie, a Christmas movie that, you know, those Hallmark films are are, are a breed of their own and they're when they're good, they're like a good episode of the Waltons would be. They're sort of homespun mm-hmm. Americana. And there was a film called The Christmas Pageant that we made about 10 years ago with Melissa Gilbert as a New York theater director who kind of needs to leave town because people don't want to work with her anymore. And her agent sends her up to like, this sort of brigadoon kind of upstate town to direct The Christmas Pageant. And I was hired to play this sort of, um, oh, I guess you'd call him a, a, a kind of a naive but very funny mayor. Hi, I'm Mayor Noah Humphreys. Welcome, and we're very excited to be here. And it was almost like the Ted Knight character in uh, Mary Tyler Moore. Yes, ago, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of a testament to my dad. They even put me in a top hat and tails, which which I kind of got the same sort of uh, the look that they had in the Royal Ascot film. And I really enjoyed that job. And it showed so much in the performance. And it was a substantial role that, funnily enough, I think it's some of my best work. It's called The Christmas Pageant. It's a Hallmark movie. It's just a really, it's a nice light comedy performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but in terms of, you know, mainstream, I don't think you can, you can do better than Pretty Woman. I had, enough, I had enough scenes and enough story arc in Pretty Woman to make a difference, and that yeah. was very fulfilling. Yeah. And then playing a fighter pilot on the Kennedy and Supercarrier was just a, was, was, was a great job. But I would say that um, I, I did a little scene in the Dahmer, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer movie. I played a doctor, a baby doctor, early on. It was a good scene. Hmm. That was fun a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, but, it's interesting that I, I ask this question a lot to, to different actors and there's, you know, automatically you think that they're going to say the blockbusters that they were in, but a lot of times it's some nice little movie that they made that, that they, yeah. they like the best and say that, you know, I think this was one of my best performances. It wasn't necessarily the, you know, the, the one that everybody knows you for. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice question. And it's a sort of a litmus test um, of, uh, of, of personality. Um, the, the most satisfied accomplishment I've had in my career, full stop, is creating putting together, casting, producing, and editing a, I call it a fantasy documentary called Three Days of Hamlet that really uh, scratched this, this lifelong itch of mine, having left England as, as, a, as a youngster, never really gone through the, the English acting sort of world. I so liked the, 
the words and the music of Shakespeare and, and never really been able. I mean, I did. I, I played Romeo as a kid on a Showtime um, for TV with um, Blanche Baker. So I'd had experience. But I put together this project of, of Hamlet to do as a staged reading over three days. And it ended up being half reality, half play. And it was a, I call it a fantasy documentary. Um, it's sort of like Big Brother, the CBS show, like Big Brother meets, you know, mm-hmm. meets, uh, meets traveling players. And I had Richard Chamberlain as Polonius, Stephanie Powers was Gertrude and Peter Woodward, Edward's son as Laertes. And I green screened myself as the ghost uh, a couple of weeks prior. And so I, I played back on the green screen me doing the ghost to saying, Hamlet, you can remember me, all this stuff. And here I, and here I was clean shaven and looking, uh, uh, trim and fit and, uh, uh, sort of acting with myself and this troop of players. It's an extraordinary, uh, uh project. And, um, that was a, a labor of love that remains, I suppose, my opus because hmm. it was almost, it was matched a few several years later but when i when i wrote the book because i felt that i'd inception i created it i made it happen yep. and to going back to your original question being the son of anything uh you know ted turner uh, ted turner's father started uh, an advertising business but ted turner turned it into turner network you right. know what i mean yes yeah um and i was able to take what my father had given me, whether he meant to or not, he was probably hoping that I wouldn't uh, try because he knows how how uh, difficult and often tragic it can be. Uh, but I was able to create something that people told me. And uh, we had a UCLA humanities professor named Michael Allen who just passed away at age 82 earlier this year. He was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. He must have influenced so many people. He told me, he said, he called me the next day, he said, Punch, my middle name, they call, friends call me that. Punch, you've done something completely your own. You've created your own Hamlet. And, you know, you would say that to Gerald de Maurier in 1910, <laughs> or John Barrymore, or right. Laurence Olivier. And that's something that just meant a lot to me and still does. Yeah. It's out there. You can get out it's out there on DVD, you know. Yeah. It was an incredible project. Huh. Well, Alex, we're going to finish up, but before Good. I ask the final questions that I usually ask, uh, I I have to ask you a question because I got an email from a couple of listeners actually who found out that I was going to have you on the show and they Good. said if you don't ask this question, we will never listen to your show again. So Oh, don't do that. <laughs> So, okay. um, they, well, at least they said they're 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 wanting you to ask it. They're not necessarily need me to answer. It. Right, so that's good. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. But they wanted me to ask about a film that you made, but officially was never released, and you uh, called the Fantastic Four. You were Mister Fantastic, right? Uh, <laughs> Reed yes, Richards, Reed in, Richards, the original, the OG, yeah, the original Reed. Absolutely, yeah. So, so can you yeah. give us an idea of what went on there, just to you know? just to please my listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, it's a well-known story. And, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of fans of it because, you know, uh, Marvel, quite rightly, has, has created this um, this, this temple, a huge space where all of these movies um, 
are are fan favorites, and some of them are are more liked than others. It just so happens that the big Fantastic Fours are are not well liked, <laughs> and so they look. You look back at our original Fantastic Four, and you know it was supposed to be creaky. It was supposed to be kind of silly, and um, we uh, we went at that in the full knowledge that even if it was never going to be seen, that we were going to enjoy it and we were going to take it seriously. And the story about that film being, a, I guess you would call it a rights play. The film was made because it was a contractual obligation mm-hmm. by the German producers or the German rights holders. They had to be in production by a certain date. I think it was December 30th, whenever 1992, uh, um, maybe. So November 28th, we start rolling. Wow. And, you know, they cast me. I'd done a couple of Roger Corman films, and I went in in one meeting, and my, uh, uh, my friend Olisa Sohn, who's the director, he lives in New Orleans. I, I'm now living in Pensacola, Florida, so I see him quite often, a couple times a year. Uh, go in, and it's one of those instances that I've loved, and I, I write about in the book, how if, if you can go in in one meeting, and the, the people who are hiring, if you solve their problem, there's no need for a callback. There's no need for anything. And the trouble with the, the writer-driven TV shows these days is, is they can't. it's so difficult to get a part because there's so many cooks in the kitchen. That's the joy of independent film, or in Pretty Woman's case, they, they were filming, they needed to cast the part. If you are right and you are in a room or you're going to be on a set with people who are good at their job, then they don't make you feel like you're lucky to get it. They feel like they're lucky to have you. And when that, that's how uh, Reed Richards came to me. So naturally, my allegiance was to this film. Mm-hmm. And, and Roger's a great producer uh, because he rewards initiative. What he, what, what he would, uh, what you wouldn't make from him is, is you, you know, you make some money, but I mean, you're not, it's not a well-paying job. But funnily enough, the original Fantastic Four is one of the first things that people ask me about because it's such a rare and unique story about a, about a project that really deserves to be remembered, mm-hmm. not in the conventional sense, in a, in, a, in a far more glorified sense because there's nothing quite like it. If this film had been released conventionally in 1994 with its infantile special effects, it would have been forgotten and dismissed, like uh, the Punisher films or yeah. early Captain America films or even Battlestar Galactica, the original, mm-hmm. which was a big budget, you know. But it hasn't. It still lives on, and it has a memory for much of the audience, and the audience respects that memory. It doesn't matter whether it's that good or not. It's the audience's memory is real. And I do sometimes, I'm back into the world of appearances and conventions a couple of times a year. I go and I sell my books. They want to buy my book. They, they want to have pictures with me, and it's absolutely lovely. Again, I'm not a famous, I'm not a product, I'm not a, a famous Hollywood product. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fellow who grew up in one part of the business, got into another part, and made my way, and I'm still doing it, and I have stories to tell, and none of them are, are, are <laughs> none of them are, are better or more well received than tell me about the Fantastic Four. So thank you to your listeners. Yeah. Keep listening to this show. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, but it just amazes me that a movie that has never been released, yeah, is so enjoyed. I mean, people love it, and, and it's it's, yeah. it's surprising. You know, how are they getting it? That's what that's what makes me wonder. Well, it's easy now. I mean, it's been on the internet forever. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. the most the wonderful thing that span of my life is that I started 
in the in the last of sort of the old Hollywood system contracts and three networks and five movie studios, and I've been at it long enough, and they still haven't found anything better to do, and uh, I haven't struck it rich, but I've, like I said, I've been rich in spirit and rich in experience that I'm now still part and thriving, and as soon as we can end this stupid actor's strike, we can get back to work, mm. and and I'm working in the medium which is completely digital now. My audiobooks are, are read off a of Kindle and they're, they're downloaded of an MP3. There's no paper. There's no, in film, unless you're Hoyt Van Hoytema and, um, and, and Jordan Peele, you don't shoot your, your movies on film. You shoot it on video, much to my dismay because you usually look pretty flat and awful. But I know what it is to work in the analog way technically and still when you're storytelling or when you're acting or when you're playing music at a club or a pub that is person to person that is actor to audience that's comedian mm. to um to drink minimum that's real in the moment and um i'm glad that i know what that like that what that what that should be like i think it's the advent of celebrity and sort of instant fame now it's uh, it's taken the edge. It's taken the. Um, it's it's taken. It's detracted from what I euphemistically would say the art of acting. It's not so much an art anymore. It's a lot of times it's a. It's been more of a commodity. And I think the Fantastic Four is an example of of uh, a franchise suffering because of that way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, Alex, we're going to finish up with the. the one or two final questions, depending on how you feel about, you know, the number. But uh, the question is, when you sit back and relax, what are your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past? What do you enjoy? The Great Escape was one of my 50 Cent Saturday matinee favorites. Classic film. Camelot and Palm Springs. Yeah, loved it. Um, of course, The Godfather and Star Wars. And there's a mid, mid to late 70s. Uh, those are when I when I saw those films. I was probably a bit young to see The Godfather, but certainly by the time Star Wars came around, I knew I wanted to fly jets in space. It was just the fantasy aspect, very influential. Nineteen yeah. nineties uh, Michael Mann film with Daniel Day Lewis of Last of the Mohicans, I think, still is one of the greatest adventure movies uh, uh, of, of of the modern era. Harrison Ford and Patriot Games was another big favorite of mine. I liked the the Irish aspect to it, the, 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 the melody. Um, I really liked Terrence Malick's film tree of life several years ago. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful TV shows. Uh, happy days, all in the family. Uh, Hill street blues was my favorite show. And when on my 25th birthday, my William Morris agent in LA called to say uh, that they liked me in an audition and they offered me two episodes of Hill street blues. Mm -hmm. That was an example of the fan getting a reward because I was a huge fan of the show. Yeah. And I was in that show. And that's happened a couple of other times. The Mentalist, when that was on, I, yes. I really enjoyed that show. And then I got an episode of it and I felt like it was, you know, I knew, I knew what I knew. I, I knew how to act in that show because I was a great fan. Hmm. Um, you know, so uh, these days, you know, um, what did we like? Uh, you know, uh, um, on TV, uh, what, what's, uh, you know, we've been watching this lovely, uh, we call it Happy Valley, this Virgin River 
Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. And the great Tim Matheson yes, is, yeah. uh, is Tim, in it. Tim's yeah, been a guest been here. A, <laughs> he's been my guest. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, no, he's lovely. I, I, I worked with him in an episode of This Is Us that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, the, uh, I, I like adventures. I, um, you know, I liked uh, The English. That um, was, a, was a show, I think, on Netflix. Uh, was a very good uh, a Western um, with um, an English actress who uh, created it. Was it was was your show? But I'm always open to suggestions, so I'm easy to find. AlexHydeWhite.com, and uh, please, um, sorry to bore your listeners, but send me some ideas for TV shows. I've run out of my queue. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to share with us. And people should go out and get your book at on in Amazon. And uh, is there any place they can get a an autograph copy? Do you ever? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm easy to find uh, online. I have a personal actor website and then our audiobook company is punch audio has a website and all all roads lead to uh, to rome so uh send us a message i mean i'd be happy to I'd send you a book at list price and i'm happy to sign it if you want if you're a fantastic four fan uh, there's some pictures i can in uh, enclose yeah i'm the the uh the store is open at uh, at wholesale prices i'm i'm happy to you know, give. If people want to know uh, uh, about me and are, are willing, like you, to indulge me in these long, meandering answers that occasionally I will land back where we started, then I'm happy to accommodate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate it very much. All right. Thank you. And thank you to your listeners. Keep up the good work. And a big thank you going out to Alex Hyde White for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, it's uh, you know just uh, so interesting to hear his story. And uh, we hope you enjoyed that one. If you have a suggestion for a guest or want to tell me what you thought of a different episode, you can email me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Or you can uh, you know leave something on the socials. Try to get to those, too. And uh, if you have a suggestion or if you have a connection with somebody who was in a show, send it to me. And we'll see if we can get that person on. So, uh, anyways, we've got uh, the holidays coming up. So, uh, I'm not sure if we'll have an episode next week or a few days later. You know, whatever. We'll <laughs> we'll see what we can do. And uh, then after that, we'll keep coming your way right here on On Screen and Beyond. So keep listening to On Screen and Beyond. Be sure to go to onscreenandbeyond.com and look at all the things that we have uh, done over the years, all the people who have given us their fascinating stories, and I hope you'll check them all out, download them all, tell a friend about On Screen and Beyond, get the word out, love you know getting more and more people listening to On Screen and Beyond. So I hope you'll do that for us. Best thing to do is to subscribe. Now, it doesn't cost anything. It's not one of those subscription things where you got to pay and all that. It's just uh, wherever you're getting your podcast, they may call it following some of them now. So, uh, you know, you just... Anyways, what happens is as soon as I release the episode, you will get it downloaded to your computer, phone, whatever you're listening on. And uh, that's just the easiest way to do it. You don't have to keep going looking for it and all that. So just follow us, like us, whatever they call it, uh, you know, subscribing, whatever. Just do it, and it'll make it easier for you. So uh, we've got a lot more guests coming your way. That's it. That's the end of another episode. That's a wrap for this episode of On Screen and Beyond. So until next time, when we once again take you on screen 
and beyond. I'm Brian Zimrak. Take care.